because somebody's got to talk about it. And, you know, since I'm the pastor, I'm going to make a run at it here today because I want your marriage to be great. So this, this is your reward for coming to church in July. You get a, get a PG-13 message, all right? So uh, if at home, it's in the children into the other room right now. All right, so <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm just getting your attention right now. So uh, we're going to do this next week. I want to share a message on parenting and, and building great blended families. One of the great challenges we have today in building great families, how do I build a blended family? Over 50% of our marriages now are second or third marriages. So we're trying to understand how do I navigate <clears throat> putting two different families together? How do we have uh, your children and my children become our children? What happens when you got yours, mine, and ours? How do we, how do we work this thing? How do we make it work? And so <clears throat> I'm going I'm to deal with that next week. And then the first week of August is our, our back-to-school day. I'm going to share some principles that, that are life-giving about how to pray for your children, your grandchildren, children in your family, nephews, nieces, as they go back to school. Uh, of course, some principles out of the Daniel Prayer for Parents. I'm going to share some of those. We're going to pray over children and educators, August the 5th. Then Sunday, August 12th, Philip Cameron, who God has used for years with a message called Household Salvation. So as we, as we bring the family matters down to August 12th, uh, it is going to be an amazing day. So I'm giving you some time to be praying and thinking, inviting, encouraging, encouraging you about family salvation. I believe, I want you to hear this. I want to make these declarations based on Scripture. I believe not just what George Sawyer says. I believe it is the will of God for you to have a great marriage. If you agree with my declaration, say amen. I believe it's the will of God for you to have a great marriage. I believe that if you've been divorced and wounded from divorce, it's the will of God for you to be healed from that in your life. I believe if you're in a subsequent marriage, it's God's will for that marriage to be blessed and a great marriage. If you're in a blended family, I believe it's the will of God for your blended family to be better than you ever dreamed it could be. We're not just surviving, we're thriving. How many hear what I'm saying? I believe it's the will of God for everyone in your family to be saved. Everyone. The Bible says, I would have all men saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It is the will of God for your family to be saved. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. It is the will of God for you as a single adult to be, to be fulfilled, to be blessed, to be happy, to be secure, to be everything God wants you to be. We are building great relationships, great families, great concepts, and, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. I'm not just teaching you survival instincts. I'm teaching you principles that will make greatness come into your life because that's the will and the plan of God. So we have some exciting things that are coming up. I want you to be aware of those. We're, we're building something each and every week. <clears throat> so I want to go to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to read through this twice. I'm going to read once through the New International Translation, and then I want to go read a portion of this through uh, the message paraphrase. Now, a translation is an authorized biblical recognized to the original documents translation word for word there are very few translations the king james is a translation there's an amplified translation the new king james the new international version there are not a lot of translations translations are authorized uh, word by word uh, authentic accurate translation of greek and hebrew into english then there are several 
paraphrases. A paraphrase is not as uh, reputable. Maybe that's the, the wrong word. A paraphrase is not as scholarly and as on the same level as a translation. A paraphrase is usually the work of one or two people. And it's basically a commentary. How many understand that? So I read these different translations and paraphrases because I love to study the Bible. I love to get the different inflections and nuances and, and study these, these points of view. But there's a difference in a translation and a paraphrase. A translation is on a much higher level scholarly and accurately than a paraphrase, all right? So I'm going to read from the New International Translation, and then we're going to, I want to go back to this passage and read a portion through the message paraphrase that I think will help us. Uh, this is the famous passage uh, from Ephesians 5 on, on wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. We, we need to understand the verbiage and the concept and what's happening here, okay? So I want to work through with you because I want to talk about the needs of a man the needs of a woman, the needs of a husband, the needs of a wife, and how to build trust and prioritize that in your lives today. I can tell you that unmet needs are open doors for Satan to get into a relationship. Unmet needs. Needs are an opportunity for God to show you the beauty of your diversity. Let me say that again. Needs are an opportunity for God to show you the beauty of your diversity. God has made you distinct as male and female uh, for a reason. That reason was not to argue. That reason was not to be frustrated. That reason was to recognize that our differences are God designed and complementary. All right, so let me read this. I'm going to read a little longer passage uh, because we want to back up and get the context. Most of the time, when we're reading Ephesians 5, we begin with verse 22. I'm going to back up to verse 15 because I believe this gives us the context of, of what God says to husbands and wives. So watch this. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5 says, be very careful then. Okay, that's it. Be very careful then how you live. All right, not as unwise, but as wise. So we should pay attention to how we live, right? And, and this, I love this. Most of the time, our church mentality, unfortunately, when someone says, you better be careful how you're living, we think of not doing something wrong. In, in that kind of the, the religious mindset, if somebody, I, I remember there was a family member, well, she's in heaven, so I can say, one of my aunts, her favorite thing to say to us, especially when she didn't think we were doing well, it never came off as encouraging. It always seemed to be judgmental. She'd come up to you and say, stay close to Jesus. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You know, that, that, that was her thing. Stay close to Jesus. You're like, I didn't know I was running away from him. You know what I mean? So it just, you know what I get? You get so most of the time, I won't say any more about that. Most of the time, because I get to heaven, she's going to ask me, did you stay close to Jesus? I said, I'm here, aren't I? So anyway, so uh, I won't do that there. I'll be a better person there. So, so <laughs> uh, I've really, I've diversed. So let's come back. So when we read that, be very careful how you live. We typically think of, oh, I better not do something wrong. That's not at all what he's saying. Watch this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. How do wise people live? Making the most of every opportunity. See that? It's not, you be careful how you live so you don't take a misstep. No, be careful and wise so you can make the most of every opportunity. That, that's, that builds great marriages. Let me be sensitive and alert to the needs of my spouse 
so that I can make the most of every opportunity. I believe a lot of great opportunities to build amazing marriages are missed because we're not paying attention. Because we're not making the most of every opportunity, okay? All right. Uh, because the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? The will of God is do not get drunk on wine. Period. The last time you should have been dependent on a bottle is when you're a baby. Let me go on. It's going to get better. Hang on. I'm going to let you help meet your needs and all. But what he's saying is, watch, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, isn't it interesting that things we substitute for God's plan? Instead of filling myself up with a counterfeit solution... You understand? You can insert a lot of things other than just wine right here. Relationships. Office flirtation. Trying to build great families here. Okay. Laziness. Not paying attention. Okay. Instead of those things, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, 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 I, I can't divert, devote this much time to each phrase, but this be filled in, in the Greek original language is a present continuous tense verb. It says be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In a continuous way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. Let me help you. I go back to this making the most of every opportunity. When I'm filled with something, I don't have room for other things. So the way we stop sinning is not trying to stop sinning. The way you stop sinning is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Full people aren't hungry. If, if, if you just had a, you know, ribeye steak and a baked potato, don't get hungry and lose. Okay, ribeye steak, baked potato, uh, what, what else? You know, Caesar salad and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you don't immediately get up from the table and say, oh, I wish I had that Big Mac. No, you're hungry. You're not hungry. You're not, you're not hungry. You're good. You understand? The more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the better equipped I am to build a great marriage and take advantage of the opportunities and not waste my time on counterfeit options. All right, so we talked about communication, haven't we? Look at this. The very next thing, speak to one another. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You feel the Holy Spirit, talk to each other. Speak to each other, okay? Speak to one another. Uh, he talks about... We sh what do we share? Psalms, hymns, spiritual song. Share with one another. Speak to one another. Communicate the things of God to each other. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Put some joy in your life. Let praise be part of your life. All right? You with me? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, submit to one another. We're going to talk about what that means. Out of what? Reverence for Christ. How do I frame my response to you? It's from the perspective of how I respond to God. Okay? How, how am I able to submit to the people around me because I'm doing out of reverence to God? What he's saying is the way I treat you is a direct reflection on my relationship with God. My motivation to be right with you is because of my motivation to be right with God. Out of reverence for God, I'm going to do the right thing by you. 
You should understand that. Submitting to the people in my life is a direct result of me submitting myself to God. In, in, in our situation where we are today, you know, our, our favorite saying, we learned it when we were two years old, you're not the boss of me. The reason we have trouble working in cooperative relationships is because we may not even be submitted to God. That we have a hard time trusting. We have a hard time surrendering. We have a hard time becoming vulnerable because of pain and disappointment and failures of men. We pull that back from God. And let me say this very clearly. I've said it every week. I'll say it again. The, the principles I'm teaching are not are, are, you're, we are incapable of following these principles unless we're born again and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the design God had for marriage was never designed to be fulfilled in the strength of man. God did not design marriage to work without him. And so you said, well, pastor, I'm not a believer, so you're telling me what you're teaching has no value in my life. It has value after you're born again, and then God enables you to do these things. I just want to be very frank with you. These, these principles are for people who are trusting in God and empowered by his spirit. So we learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we come to this. Look at verse 22. We need to understand these things. How do they work? What do they mean? What's the context of this? All right? I've, I've given you much of it, but let's keep reading. Wives, submit to your husbands. What? How? As to the Lord. Okay? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, b- before we, before, you know, you call in, you know, the view, uh, hold on and let's keep reading, all right? Husbands, see, th- th- these aren't disconnected sentences, it's a unit we're reading here. Do you understand? So before we, before we stop there and, and, and wonder what in the world, let's read the whole unit. Husbands, the husband that you submit to, right? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's an incredible responsibility, gentlemen, that we are to love our wives with a kind of love that Christ loves us who is willing to die for us, who is willing to take our sin on him. It's, an, it, it's, it's a challenge that no man is equal to without the grace of God in his life. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Listen, sir, you, you, you shouldn't expect your wife to submit to you unless you love her like Christ loves you. It's equal responsibility there. Now, no husband's perfect, no wife is perfect. So that's why he's not saying, if he loves you, submit. If she submits, love her. It says, you love God, submit to God, trust in God, and do what he said. Are you with me? Stop looking at each other to measure your obedience to God. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Well, he's not loving me, so I'm not submitting to him. You're going to get a crick in your neck talking like that, shaking your head all over that way. Okay? Or, or, or you could say, well, I, I'm not going to love her because she won't submit to me. Well, she won't submit to you, do you start loving her? And he's not going to love you till you start trusting him. It just, you understand? So my obedience, my relationship with you, your relationship with the people around you is a result of my relationship to God. As unto God, as unto God, as Christ did. You understand those things? That's why we do what we do. I, I, come on, it's going to get better. We're, I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell that other person how to meet your needs so you don't need to tune me out yet. You're going to like this, all right? So husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
What happens? What did Christ's love for us do for us? Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. You wash, renew, refresh your wife with the word you use. Okay? And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, look at this word, this is huge, this is probably a synonym for honor, respect her husband. All right, now, I want to go to the message translation, and let's begin in verse number 21. Can you do that for me? Uh, message, oh, you got me already up to 15. Uh, let, yeah, you can, thank you, perfect. All right, look at this. Here's this word again. Watch this. This is a, another way to state this. Out of respect for Christ. See the setting? Uh, it, this all bases off our relationship with Jesus. Great marriages are based off of great relationships with Christ. How many understand that? Are, are we seeing that through this process? So out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. That's, the, that's another way to say submit. What does it mean to submit to somebody? I mean, I get on the ground and kiss your feet, you know, and oh, master, master, oh, you know. No, it means I am, oh, go back, come on, you cut my feet out from under me, go back. There, be courteously reverent to one another. That's another way to submit. All right, now, let's go to the next verse. So, wives, look at this. Now, we read the word submit to your husband. Watch it. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. See, let me read it again. Wives, understand and support your husbands. That's what it means. That's a great synonym for submit. Understand and support your husband. I asked Phyllis today, I said, honey, what do you, what do you, when, I, when you read the phrase, leave that up there, please. When you read the phrase, uh, submit to your husband, I said, what, what comes to your mind? You know, she said about four times in, in, in a few minutes conversation, she used the word listen. Listen. That's interesting. You know, ladies, when your husband does talk, listen. He doesn't talk a lot. But when he's talking, listen to him. That's, a, that's an honor. That's respect. Husbands, listen to what your wife is saying. So watch this. Understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife. Husbands, leadership is a huge responsibility. I find that most people appreciate and value godly leadership. Do you know that leadership means in, in the kingdom of God as Christians, we're servant leaders. We serve by the way we lead. How many hear what I'm saying right now? In other words, my leading my family is not for me, it's for them. I'm not leading because I want a title or because I want my way or I think I'm big daddy. I'm leading because the best thing for my family is to provide godly leadership and direction. My leading is serving them. How many are with me? And we have to create an atmosphere of support and understanding so that our husband 
can lead his wife the way Christ does to his church. A husband will never lead in an atmosphere of disrespect. He, he just won't do it. A man just won't do that. It won't be this kind of leadership. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. All right, let's, let's keep going. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Okay, keep going. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Did you see that? A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white, silk, radiant with holiness. Thank you. Okay. I got some beach balls in the way. All right, let's go. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. All right, well, a little bit more. No one abuses his own body, does he? No one, no, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. Keep going. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand at all the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. It's interesting to me that when, you, when, when, when I study and I read, uh, of course, always Scripture first, but when I, when I begin to look at uh, uh, Christian psychology, Christian psychiatry, Christian counselors and marriage and reading the books about these things, there's, there's certain words that keep coming up over and again. And we find most of those in these scriptures that we've read here. So let's, let's look at this. What, what's the core of a marriage? What are, what are the core values of marriage? We're going to talk about the needs of a husband and wife. But, but to establish this thing, what, what is marriage about? Do you know that, that one, the, these three things are going to make your marriage good or bad? And they're going to have to be in balance, and you're going to have to understand those. Uh, let, let, let me tell you what they are. How you handle money, how you meet others' needs, each other's needs, and what your physical relationship is like. Those three things are going to be the core of how a marriage operates. All right? Now, uh, so if I prioritize one above the other, I, I, I get out of balance. How we handle our money, because see that's that that's just you got to deal with that. <laughs> You're just going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to be at peace with that. I'm going to tell you through years of marriage counseling, I was surprised it made the top three. When I looked, there it was. It's right there because it affects so many other decisions. All right, it's not how much money you make; it's what you do with your money. All right, uh, how you handle money, how you meet each other's needs, and what your physical relationship is like. Uh, so if I prioritize one above the other, I'm out of balance. You can't specialize, all right? You know what a woman really wants? A lady, listen to me, guys. She wants affection, security, and romance. I know you're not Romeo, but listen to what I'm telling you today. I'm going to help you out. A husband, he wants honor and respect and physical intimacy from his wife. Men and women are geared very differently. And you need to understand how those work. 
you, you can say, well, that's not my need. I didn't talk, I'm talking about understanding their needs right now and how you make these things work together. So, so how's the core of your relationship today? Money, meeting each other's needs, and your physical intimacy. Let, let, let me say something to you as a single adult. You say, well, how does this apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because what are you doing in your life right now to prepare yourself not only to be a great spouse, but be a great person right where you are? Well, Pastor, what is, uh, what is money, meeting needs, and, and, and physical intimacy have to do in my life as a single adult? Well, I'm glad you asked that too. Because if money is going to be a blessing instead of a curse in your marriage, you need to learn how to handle money right now as a single adult. Do you have a budget? Do you know what a budget means? Do you know how to prioritize and budget your money? Do you have a good job? If you don't have a good job, what are you doing to get a better job? Are you going to school? Are you getting training? Are you getting a skill? Are you developing your gifts? Do you know what you do well? If you're single and you're going to have a great marriage, you start having a great life as a single adult. If you're just on hold until I'm married and say, well, I'm not going to be happy until I'm married, you won't be happy when you're married. So if you can't learn to be happy now, you're not going to learn to be happy then. You just have two people together that thought each other going to make happy. Now you're both more unhappy than you were by yourself. Okay? Sometimes when you get what you want, you don't want what you get. So as a single, you become a great single. You're ready for a great marriage. So if, if money is such a key issue, how are you handling money as a single adult? Are you bettering yourself? Are you getting a better job? Are you having a work ethic? Do you learn how to handle money? Are you responsible with your money? Are you a tither? Have you learned to honor God in your finances as a single adult? What are you waiting for? You're going to start tithing when you get married? No, you're not. If you don't start tithing now, you're not going to tithe in. Are you generous as a single adult? Or are you preparing yourself for a great marriage? How many are still with me? Let's, you know, okay. All right, I'm going to help. And well, what about the physical intimacy? I'm single. I, I'm to be celibate. Yes, that's what the Bible says. I don't care if you're engaged. You're to be celibate. I don't care if somebody says, well, I'm not going to buy a car unless I take it for a test drive. Well, if you want to be treated like an object, then you go ahead and marry somebody like that. I won't say that again. If somebody pressures you and says, baby, I love you, and if you love me, you're going to. No, you, you can tell him if you love me, you're going to shut your mouth. Really, after he says that to you, you ought to say, you're going to hit the door. So if somebody tells you they can't marry you till they test drive you physically, they're going to always treat you like a possession instead of an honored, cherished gift from God. So what do I do as a single adult to prepare myself for the physical intimacy of marriage? I keep myself pure. I keep myself honorable before God. Because listen to me, when you get married, you're, you know, somebody's going to go on a business trip. Somebody may get relocated. Someone's going to have to take a, a stint in the military, and you're going to be alone. And you're going to have to decide, do I trust them? Did they show me trustworthiness physically while we were dating? Did they plant a seed of mistrust in me because we were not physically pure while we were dating? Or did they put a seed of trust in me because they honored me and each other before God during this time? You say, well, Pastor, I've already blown that. Well, unblow it and stop it today. You can stop. You can always stop if you put God first. Everything we've studied here is honoring God as unto God. If your physical relationship is wrong as a single adult, get it right. God cannot bless disobedience. 
He wants to bless you. So you understand that we have to stop postponing fulfillment and begin to live our life as a great life right now. And God will bring you what you are. Become what you desire and you'll find it in your life. Everybody with me? Okay, so you see, this, this isn't turn me off, you know, I'm, I'm, you know uh, I'm, I'm not a married person, I don't need to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about these, 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 this issue, money, meeting each other's needs, and physical intimacy. Very quickly, let's make sure we understand what's dating for as a Christian. You can call it dating, courtship, whatever you want to call it. Listen to me, as a believer, we have to understand our makeup how God designed us if this is going to work, right? So, so dating is this. The Bible says we are uh, like the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three personalities. We, we, we are a, tri, a triune person ourselves, spirit, soul, body. We look at ourselves as a body that has a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and then our spirit. But God looks at you, listen, and God says you are a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body. That's God's perspective. So if I'm going to date and date properly and understand who's the right person in my life, then the, then the first level of compatibility is spiritually. Am I spiritually compatible? If you're not spiritually compatible, that's a no. That's a dead end. Well, I'm going to lead her to the Lord. Listen, if you want to be a missionary, be a missionary, but don't ask her out for a date. You know, if you want to be in evangelism class, more power to you. That's good. Win them to the Lord. Don't win them to the Lord holding hands at dinner. If that person doesn't accept Christ before you get married, they're not going to accept Christ after you get married. If you couldn't get it done then, baby, it ain't going to happen. All right? So are you spiritually compatible? That's the first thing you need to determine. Are we spiritually compatible? I don't care if you're 13 or 73. Okay? The next thing you want to know, are we compatible on the soul level? What's your soul? Your mind, will, and emotions. I'm never going to be able to meet your needs emotionally and intimately as a friend. We're not going to have this kind of union until we've determined before marriage, are we compatible with our goals and our purposes and our thoughts and our ideas, My, your, your, your soul, your mind, your, your mind, will, and emotions. Then are, are we compatible there? That's the friendship and companionship you're building. Listen, one of the biggest problems that happen in blended families is that the spouses don't trust the other spouse with their children. Well, why in the world would you marry somebody you don't trust? If you can't trust them with your children, you shouldn't have married them. What in the world are we thinking? See, we're thinking short term. So am I compatible spiritually? Is this person spiritually where I am and where I'm going? Can we grow spiritually together? Is this person a person I talk with? I share goals and plans and dreams and ideas. Are they my best friend? Then after the covenant of marriage, while dating, you've kept yourself physically pure. You're spiritually compatible. You're emotionally compatible. Then you have set the stage to become physically compatible. Only after marriage. And so, you see, if you follow those things, then the core of marriage is how do I handle my money? Well, I've got that in line as a single. Uh, do I meet others' needs? Have I become a person that lives bigger than themselves? And can I, can I meet the physical intimacy that's expected of me in marriage? Of course you can if those other things are in line. Most people that have issues with physical intimacy, it's just a result of those first two things being out of order. 
And if you never get that right while you're dating, then you're going to face that impact later in your life. So let's look at this. What are the four needs of a man? A man needs to be respected, ladies. You say, well, he's not acting respectable. Find something to respect. Thank you for that overwhelming <laughs> response. But I'm going to say it anyway. The basic need of a man is to be respected. It's, it's a, listen to me, it's a very deep need in a man. He's probably not going to tell you. When you ask your husband, hey, when he's just sitting there and zoned out, and you say, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. You know, that's what he always says. Or when he comes from work, how was work today? Fine. Okay. You, men are the one word wonders, aren't we? I mean, we take this millions of words in the, in, the, in the language, and we can answer every question with one or two words. So when he says nothing, this is what he's thinking about. All right, I want to help you ladies out. So what does it mean to respect him? Well, the leadership, the courage to lead, the, the way a man works. Listen, the, the, it, the number one sin of a man is pride or ego. That's what guys deal with. The number, one, the number one sin of a woman is jealousy. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, okay, go to the gym. Go to the gym. Here's the guys. They're lifting weights, and a big guy comes in bigger than them, lifts more weights. Their guys are like, dude, look at that guy. He's awesome, man. Look at that. You know, you kind of do that. And then, but then go, go to the next room in the, you know, Pilates class or the yoga class. And here the new lady walks in, she's fit and got her little Pilates, you know, little workout tights on everything. And those ladies are like, who does she think she is? Walking in here like that. And first thing she's going to do, if her husband, poor joker, he had to go to the Pilates class, she looks at him. Don't you look at her. I'm just trying to exercise. Don't. It's just that thing. Ladies got to have the nest. You know, got to be clear. It's got to be good in there. So man respects is a big thing. Remember that, ladies. It is the wind beneath his wings to lead and be the man you want him to be. It's a respect. Because it's that honor. It, it, it's a very important thing to a man. Another thing, listen, ladies, a man wants you to be, and, and if we don't get this started in the dating and continued in the marriage, it's lost. Listen, listen to me. A man wants you to be his friend. Do you know how you fell in love? You fell in love by having fun together. If you stop having fun together, you've lost a huge element of your life. You didn't fall in love by being business partners. You fell in love by having fun together. He wants you to be his friend. Listen to me. He doesn't want you to be his mother. He's got one. He didn't want to marry his mommy. He wanted to marry you because he had fun with you. And you were fun. And you're his friend. You can talk. You're his best friend. You're that safe place because his, his respect and honor, his sense of value is so thin. I don't care how big and bad he is. His sense of self-esteem is so thin that he's never going to tell people the things that are really bugging him. Probably you're the only one. It's It's critical. He doesn't need another mother. He wants you to be his friend. He wants to play with you. He wants to laugh with you. He wants to have fun with you. He, does, he doesn't need to compete with you. That's what he does with the boys. You understand? You, you, you don't have to be his rival in sports. I remember, it, it starts young. I'll never forget this. It was one of the most devastating moments of my life. 
The first time a girl outran me in a race, I thought I was, life was over. You know, little boys, this is what boys do. You know, you put girls together, they're going to play dolls, play things, do things. Get a group of boys, the first thing you're going to do, who can out arm wrestle the other one? Go outside and who can race, who's strongest? That's what we do. It's who we are. We used to race, our neighborhood, we raced, all the boys knew. You know, it doesn't take you about two weeks. you got a pecking order. You know, who's the fastest, who's the strongest. All the boys got all the done. And this new family moved in. And I still remember, she's a torment. I feel like it was Paul's thorn in, my, in his flesh. Her name was Lisa. And I'll be, excuse my language, doggone, we had a race and Lisa outran every one of us. I was like, what has just happened? to the order of society. I mean, <laughs> and so being the male ego that I was, I said, you know, I must have not felt good or my knee was bad or I didn't eat the right breakfast. Something is off in the order of the universe. So I did a crazy thing. I said, we're going to race again. I never could beat that girl. She, it, 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 I mean, I was a good athlete. This girl had superpower. I mean, it wasn't right. I think she was one of the Incredibles and just wouldn't tell us now that I look at things. But that was damaging to me. I remember junior high school. You remember? You know, I was boys and girls, boys and girls. And then, and then two things happened to me in junior high school that were almost as bad as being outrun by Lisa. I went to junior high school, and, and so now, you know, you're in the fifth or sixth grade in elementary. You're the big guys and everything. And over the summer, all the girls grew. And I was still the same size. It hadn't started. You know, the girls matured before boys. And I walked up, and these girls were taller than me. It was like, what in the world? She's bigger than me. And then, to add insult to injury, the seventh and eighth grade boys are there, and they're like them. Don't look at me, the runt. That eighth grade boy, I'm like, what has happened? And your first reaction is to go beat up an eighth grade boy. I'll show you what I can do. See, men, we got this delicate thing. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Men, are you listening to me? But it's, a, it's an honor respect that lets him soar to be a leader that will bless that family. Uh, he wants you to be his friend. I need to hurry up. Uh, and, and, and let me tell you this. The fact is, according to medical statistics, men are 80% more physically active than women. It's on his mind all the time. It's just what makes him who he is. You try to change it, God made him that way. And he needs that in order. He needs that to be under control of the word of the Holy Spirit. That's just a need of a man. It, it is very evident, and it's, 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 he ticks that way. He works that way. What are women's needs? Security. Security. Are you listening, God? Security. I want you to, she says to her husband, she looks at him, I want you to sacrificially take care of me. I want you to love me as your wife, as Christ loved the church. I, I, I want to know that you're willing to meet my needs before yours. I want you to make me secure. I want you, listen, just like a man needs respect to soar, when you bring your wife security emotionally and every other way, she soars. You free her to be everything else. See, if a woman's not secure, she's working on those things all the time. And you wonder why there's no room for you because you didn't build a secure place where she could be herself. And if there's no security, she works on it all the time because she got to have that to get balance in her life, okay? Security. Nothing makes a woman feel more secure than a man who is unselfish 
and pays attention to her. You want to make your wife insecure? Then be self-centered and detached from her and the family. Okay? Secure means, hey, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm yours. Build a secure home. All right? I've talked about it. Open and honest communication. Uh, most men don't do this as well as women. Women are more verbal. Uh, she wants you to really open up. I've talked about that. Your best question will save your marriage. When she's talking and gets through, say, and then what happened? She'll just think, my God, he got saved Sunday. And <laughs> Listen to this. You know what's important to a woman? Non-sexual touching. Now, sir, your brain does not have that ability. It's not in your ability, sir. You know, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means she wants you to hold her. It means she wants you to be verbally intimate with her. Verbally. It means she wants you to be affectionate. It means she wants you to touch her at times other than when you've got something else on your mind. Listen, you're never going to hear a man say, Honey, will you just hold me tonight? <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying. <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop waiting on that. It's not going to happen. He just, I'm going to do it. He don't get it. I mean, you walk by and kiss him on the cheek. He's like, hey, you know, done. We're shallow. We're shallow about something. But, sir, your wife has a need that you should meet. Meeting each other's needs is what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about meeting your needs. I'm talking about loving your wife as Christ loved the church and doing something for her, not because you want it, because she needs it. And you're building her and you're making her a woman of security and a woman to soar in the purposes and plans God has for her life. How is your marriage making her a better person? How is your ma marriage making him a better person? What kind of atmosphere is allowing him to soar and allowing her to soar? Are, are you with me? Okay, I'm trying, I, want, I want to help us with this. This, th this is important. All right, let, let me give you a couple more things. So, so if those are the needs... We need to prioritize, all right? Uh, are you willing to sacrifice? What will you give up for me? Will you give up those old friends for me? If they're bad friends? You know, I don't mean you can't have friends. But if they're negative, probably the old girlfriend. Don't go on double dates with them. Don't say, you think they want to go on vacation with us? I mean, don't be a knucklehead, all right? There are some things you need to let go of. You sacrifice. Everybody with me? Listen to this statement. Sacrifice is the reality of priority. Sacrifice is the reality of priority. If it's a priority for me, I'm willing to sacrifice for it. If it's not a priority, I'm not going to sacrifice, okay? So we're talking about how do we get these needs met? We, we prioritize. We sacrifice. Number one, the second thing is time. You should put your spouse first right after God. And listen, listen to me, time is like money. If you don't budget your time like you budget your money, you run out of it. And so if I have a budget for money, we understand, what, what do I do? Well, what are my priorities? Well, for me, my priority on top of my list is I tithe, I put God first. I don't wait to see if I have enough money to obey God. I obey God first and then everything else can wait and see because that's my priority. You understand that? The first check is priority. The first text is, is tied. The first check is tied. So in my budget, here, what are my priorities? Well, you need to list them. My tithe and my giving is first. Then, you know, then I take care of, you know, household savings, then household needs, family. 
And then what I have left over is optional money. Is that right? Isn't that what a budget does? I meet the needs and then I have optional money. Well, that's what you do with your time. If you don't prioritize your time with your spouse, then you know what she gets? What's left. She has to be on the first so she gets your time. He has to be on first so he gets your time. See, what happens to us, we stop prioritizing time with each other. And so your husband's grumpy and frumpy because you put the kids before him. And you know what? That's because you put the kids before him. Sir, if you want your wife to give you some time, then you don't need to come home from work and sit down in the couch and watch her cook dinner and watch her watch the clothes and watch her clean the kids and watch her put them to bed. And you've sat down for three hours and relaxed and chilled out. And then you say, she didn't have any time for me. Get up off your backside and help her do some of that stuff. And there may be some time left at the end of the thing. They're your kids. It's your house. She's your wife. She's not your slave and nanny and your housekeeper. She's your wife. It's not unmasculine to run the vacuum cleaner. It's not going to hurt your ego to wash some dishes. It's not going to, they're your kids. I mean, you had something to do with them getting here. You enjoyed that part of it. So change your diapers and give them a bath. They're your children. Okay. Time. How do I prioritize? Sacrifice, time. Listen to this one. Energy. How do you meet those needs? Okay, so you want to talk? Okay, let's talk. I want you to know, I really care about you. Good grief. Put some energy in this thing. Your energy. Your energy shows what's important to you. Are you with me? Everybody say energy. You guys are hurting me right now. I don't know if you're energetic about this. The last thing's your attitude. I want to do this. I want to do this. It's your attitude. Come on. You can do the right thing with a bad attitude, and you might as well, you blew it. Am I right or wrong? You can do the right thing with a bad attitude. You messed the whole thing up. So develop these things in your life. Right. I'm almost through. It's going to get better. Hold on. Okay. So how do I build trust? How do, how do, it starts when you're dating. If you didn't do this when you're dating, start doing it right now. Trust. The number one word in trust is character. How do I know I'm going to trust somebody if I don't spend enough time before we get married to know if I can trust them? Let me say that again. I said it too fast. How do you know you're going to trust somebody when you're married if you didn't spend enough time with them in dating to, know, to learn to trust them? Are they trustworthy? The number one way you build trust is you have character. Your character. Am I faithful? Am I humble? Do I lead like a servant? Character. I talked about communication last week. And, 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 and do the things we share, are they confidential? Do I beat my spouse up with the openness they had with me in, in communication? You, you're trustworthy in communication. You take responsibility when you're wrong. You know you're wrong. They know you're wrong. But if you deny it, you're losing trust. You know you blew it. They know you blew it. But you say, well, I don't think I did that. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. Admit it. Own it. Okay? Own it. Say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. We got to bring some things to the altar, don't we? Got to put some things on the altar. And you know what goes on the altar first every time? Me. Me. Remember, you sow what you reap. Remember, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Remember, ladies, you honor your husband as, as the church honors Christ. And what you give it will come back to you. 
And what you plant, you will harvest. And what you invest will return to you. And so men and women are very different. We think very differently. We have different needs. Listen to me. But if you know each other and love each other and pay attention to each other and talk to each other and listen, you'll begin to know what that person needs. And if you love them, there should be a joy in meeting a need in the person's life you love. There should be a joy in knowing that you did something. Listen, you meet that need not because you, you, it was your need or not because you felt that way, but because you know how they feel. So you talk to each other. You know each other's needs. See, it, it, it's like this. You know, a, 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 a man, so what are you going to do? A, a man's night, you know, what, what's, what's romantic, you know? Uh, I, I had to write this down because I'm not a woman, so I wrote some things down. Uh, about how to be romantic, Phyllis, I'm trying. And um, see, so here, here it is. For a woman, what's romance? Hus- listen, husband, you thought of it. You planned the night. You call her up and say, sweetheart, going out to dinner tonight. Well, what about the kids that got that taken care of? See, don't let your little thing make a bigger problem for her. Sweetheart, let's go to dinner. I'm going to take you out. We're going we're gonna to have a great night out. What about the kids? Well, I don't know. What do you mean, what about the kids? no. You plan it. Take her out to dinner. And she goes, what am I going to, you know, have a babysitter. Hey, hey, and listen, don't call her five minutes before you want to leave. Because she wants to be nice. Let's get You understand what I'm saying? Think of her. Are you meeting her needs or your needs? So romance, romance to her means you planned it. You got the babysitter. And when you go to dinner, listen to me. Put that phone down and talk to her. Talk to her. Listen to her. Okay. For a man, here, here's what, he wants to go play football and go home and go to bed. That, that was a great night. It wasn't her idea. See, you're having to decide, okay, what, what am I going to do here? Uh, so you're battling over what's romantic. He wants, to, he wants to go hunt and fish, and she wants to watch a Lifetime movie and cry. I mean, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? Sometimes you're going to watch a Lifetime movie. And she's crying because she loved it. And you're crying because you had to watch a movie. Just don't tell her that. Just say, you're right. Wasn't that the sweetest thing? You're like, yeah, it was. And I'm sitting there thinking, dear God, I'm going to die. I've had to watch another one of these movies like that. <laughs> now, you don't make him watch a Lifetime movie seven nights a week. My God, don't do that to a man. He's not a woman. But because you love each other, you think of things the other person likes. You've listened to it. Dr. Paul Young Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world until retired, full gospel church in Seoul, Korea, 800,000 adult members. When he first was married uh, in, in the church at Korea, they don't recognize evangelists per se, but if, you have to be a pastor, to have, it's their culture, to have the respect to come preach at another church. Well, he was pastoring his church, but he wanted to be the Billy Graham of South Korea. So this is what he did. He marries, and, and uh, he preaches on Sunday, and on Monday he leaves and goes to preach these crusades. Comes back home on Friday or Saturday and, you know, has one day home, preaches on Sunday. He's gone on Monday. And so he said he began to notice that when he, would, when he was first married, his wife would meet him on those Fridays, and, you know, she was dressed and hot meal and everything. And then after a while, you know, she's like, Sitting there, you know, like, come on in. He's like, what's wrong? 
And his mother-in-law, which was an elder in the church, that's an unusual fit, but anyway, uh, said to him, Cho, do you love my daughter? He said, of course I love your daughter. He said, well, she said, you want to be married? He said, of course I want to be married. She said, well, you don't act like it. He said, what do you mean? She began to tell him, you're not doing anything for her. There's no investment. He said, first he thought, that's one of those Western demons. That's not the Asian culture. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. But then he said, he began to think about his wife and watched her wilting in his pursuit of his goals. Wilting right in front of his eyes. So he began to pay attention to her and think about her world and what she enjoyed and what she liked. He began to do some things, not because they were his preference, because they were her needs. And as he began to meet her needs, she began to blossom again in her marriage and support him in his preaching and be involved in the goals of his life. But it's never one way or the other. It's you begin to meet the needs of this person and you, they, the spouse, and this spouse begins to meet your need. And you say, well, pastor, I don't have that kind of spouse. I understand that. But I believe there's a biblical principle that I can sow something that I'll reap, that I can find somewhere a place to start that I can be genuine that I can be obedient as unto Christ, not as unto them, but as unto Christ. And God begins to build this thing in your marriage. You can have a great marriage if you'll begin to understand how to meet the other person's needs. That's what Christ did for us. I want us to stand together. Pastor Joy, come. I want to pray for you before you go. I hope I'm helping you. You know I love to preach, but I'm just having to teach a little bit right now because I want to see great marriages, great marriages, great marriages. Let me tell you what I've prayed for you this week as we pray together. I pray this week for you that you will not just hear with your physical ears, but with your spirit. I pray for you this week that you'd be willing to change some things. How many are listening to me? I pray for you this week that you will not say it's too late. I want to stop right there because that was very strong as I prayed for this moment. That you would not say it's too late. I pray that you would not accept the status quo, but be willing, but be willing to believe that if the Holy Spirit helps me, listen to me, I can change the direction of my life, not their life. Stop waiting on them to change. And you accept, I'm going to change. As under Christ, I'm going to do this thing. There is a joy in obeying Christ. How many can say amen to that? Have you ever discovered that? There's a joy in obeying the Lord. There's a peace from obeying the Lord. Stop looking to man or woman for your sense of self-esteem and look to God. And what you invest will begin to come back to you. Start with the little things, but start. It's not too late. It's not over. I've seen God restore relationships so horribly damaged that they had to bring themselves to God and be healed and release and forgive and allow God some room to come and build something. God can do it. God can do it. If you feel like your marriage can't get any better, then you're wrong. You hear what I just said? If you feel like your marriage can't be any better, you're wrong. Last time I checked, yeah, this is earth. We're not in heaven. I don't, there's some room. If you've got a good marriage, I pray you have a great marriage. If you have a great marriage, I pray you have the most fantastic marriage on the planet. Why not get better? As a single adult, man, I love you singles in our church. Your life can be good right here, right now. You are fulfilled as you follow these principles in your life today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. God will take care of that. You're honoring that in your life. So I want to pray with us today. I, 
I believe we understand meeting each other's needs. But I believe it's past hurt, disappointment, fear that causes us to be afraid to try to do that again. So I want to pray for healing, for trust, for understanding what it means to love, to submit. See, it's not bad things. Aren't these wonderful things we talked about today? They're courageous steps. Make them part of your marriage.